Father God, thank you so much for gathering us today around your word. It is the word of truth, and without it, we could not know uh, more than that you are the creator and you are the sustainer of all things, for your, even your creation itself has that truth stamped upon it in so many ways. So, Father, thank you for gathering us this morning and for all the blessings uh, that we have being together here with your open word before us. I pray that you bless our meeting today, Father, as we consider the record of history and uh, what is still on the minds of many as we think back over the years, even all the way back to Paul's second missionary journey, but certainly much more recently. And some here in the group uh, can reflect back to actual experience in very, very difficult times, whether that be in the context of war or in the context of life and living. And so many have uh, been uh, under the burdens of this life in uh, ways far different than those that served uh, defending our liberties in far places. But uh, still, their suffering was great and is well remembered. Uh, Father, uh, there are many generations involved in this remembrance. And uh, we think of parents and grandparents and all that they sacrifice for the sake of us, their children, uh, whether that be in the family, whether that be in day-to-day and uh, our living, or, or whether it be in far places where the struggles, where the, the con- where the conflicts were great that many, many lost their lives in service for our nation. And Father, I pray that on this day and on this weekend, uh, many would remember this, reflect upon it, and uh, take to heart uh, that which has been sacrificed for our liberties. And we pray, Father, that you'd re- re- renew a zeal for those uh, in our nation, amongst many who have either not uh, ever heard and I believe today many young, younger ones never have heard of what has been sacrificed and why it was sacrificed. And many do not have a, a clear view of what our liberties are even about or what their true value is. So, Father, I pray that you would rekindle a spirit of love for true liberty, Father, in this nation. Of course, we know well where that liberty comes from ultimately. It is uh, the gift that you've given to us, Heavenly Father, the, your gift to us of true liberty in Jesus Christ. And may it be reflected in many ways in our nation. Father, I pray for those that uh, have special needs. Um, Father, there are so many things on our minds and in our hearts uh, that we could bring before you, but you hear the cries of the hearts. The Holy Spirit knows and repeats well uh, all that we are involved in here and all of our needs are therefore well known and uh, considered, well considered, Father, by you in your heavenly plan. So we thank you, Father, for this time now to open your word and Father, please be with each of our little subgroups, our family groups, and our larger extended families as we uh, have special 
for some very profound thoughts uh, this weekend. And I ask this, Father, in Christ's name, and amen. Well, today we have the opportunity to continue on. I, I've said this a lot. I have to say it again. <laughs> Perhaps it's inevitable, but... Uh, because of my time in the Word preparing for Sunday morning, I have this special opportunity, and uh, the blessings of that are really great. And uh, uh, all I can do is testify to you the blessings of God's Word. I pray that that will come forth here as we look at chapter 18 today in the book of Acts. Now, last time, you recall, we considered in more detail what the testimony of God in the creation itself is and how that's, uh, that's uh, been marked by the hand of the creative hand of Almighty God to reflect his power and glory. And uh, to some degree, that's still very, very evident to see how the creation itself uh, speaks very clearly of the Creator and the Sustainer, and of course points forward to the accountability of man and to the need of a Savior. And we didn't go into it. I chose not to, but we didn't go into ways in which the ancient revelation in the heavenlies uh, speaks to the entire redemptive <laughs> place of God's uh, son, seed of the woman, promised way back there in Genesis chapter 3.15, and how the seed of the woman promised really is at the center of things uh, down through time. And the revelation of that was in the heavenlies. Largely, it's been erased, even though many of the original star names uh, are still there in either Hebrew or in Arabic. Those names have meanings that have significance. But today, uh, it's the open word of the living God that uh, brings us understanding. And so we turn to that now. We'll open chapter 18 today. You remember how chapter 17 ended. There were two by name mentioned who came to know the Lord Jesus there in Athens. Uh, there was an, <laughs> an Areopagite, uh, meaning a member of the court before which Paul did speak, right? And there was a woman. Uh, and uh, their names go down in history, along with more. It says there were others as well who were saved, but there was no church founded, at least that we know of, in this great city of Athens. And you might wonder why there was such dry ground, as it were, for the gospel there. And I think we said enough about it. Uh, the dry ground was very dry indeed. The city was dominated by the Greek philosophers, and they even had control in the government, it seems. That's why Paul was taken there to present this new religion that they said he must be promoting. 
uh, all about Jesus and all about the resurrection or, or Anastasia. Both uh, they took to be uh, perhaps new gods that they'd never heard of before. But um, anyway, Paul didn't get very far in his presentation uh, before they shut him down. And then that was the end of it. But there were some who were saved, nevertheless, and that was sufficient because that's what God had wrought, as it were, right? Remember who's working it all out ultimately. It's not Paul and Silas and others. It really is the Lord God himself. He's in the process there of founding churches from place to place, city to city. Sometimes there's more fruit, sometimes less. But it's all of God. And that brings us to chapter 18. And I'd like Linda to begin our readings today in chapter 18. But before I ask her to do that, let me give you the outline for today. God's blessings abound, abound, not like in Athens, but God's blessings abound in Corinth for Jews and Gentiles. And the first point. Paul's departure from Athens reaps benefits untold in Corinth. Secondly, Paul testifies to the Jews who resist, and he departs from the synagogue to the Gentiles. Thirdly, the Corinthian church is founded on the faith, amazingly, of leading Jews and Gentiles. Leading Jews. Ah, amazing. The fourth point. Another leading Jew. So it's not only one, but another in Corinth also believes expanding the church. And then finally, Paul just abruptly leaves Corinth, promising to return again. Lord willing. And indeed he will do that. And... Uh, <laughs> we'll learn about that uh, later on his third missionary journey. Okay, so basically the uh, second missionary journey will end uh, shortly as Paul leaves Corinth and heads back to Jerusalem, stopping on the way in Ephesus for a short time. Okay, so Paul departs from Athens, but reaps benefits untold in Corinth. Okay, so uh, Linda, would you please read for us uh, verses 1 through 3 in Acts chapter 18. And after these things, Paul departed to Athens and came on to Corinth and found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome. And they came unto them. Because he was of the same craft, he abode with them, wrought, for by their occupation they were tent makers. Thank you, Linda. So, Timothy and Silas, you remember, were left behind in Macedonia, and Paul went ahead um, and arrives in Corinth and begins a ministry there, as he normally did, by going into the synagogues on the Sabbath day. And uh, it doesn't say much about it, except to say that uh, there wasn't much fruit being born there. 
they had this dialogue, and that is the Greek word used for that there uh, in uh, in the synagogues. But um, but amazingly, uh, something happened uh, first, which was quite wonderful, and that's that Paul meets up with a couple of tent makers. <laughs> a couple of tent makers. Now, they are Jews, but they're from Rome. The emperor has commanded all Jews to leave Rome. Imagine, you may have lived there for generations, right? Probably not. I think most of them were recent uh, um, immigrants uh, because, remember, <laughs> they were driven out also out of uh, Jerusalem in the Holy Land and spread around to all of these cities in the Roman Empire, and many had gone to Rome. These particular ones uh, end up in, as it, as it turns out, in Corinth. They are tent makers. And uh, Paul, also trained up as a tent maker. In fact, everyone, even, even those uh, who were being trained up for uh, the rabbinical ministry, uh, such as Paul, who studied under Gamaliel there, the greatest teacher of the Jews, right? They were all trained up practically as well. So they all, all had their trades. Paul's trade was tent making. And you know, that served him well in his various missionary journeys because he would not accept gifts and offerings from the church where he was ministering. And so he needed to support himself, and he did that through tent making. Of course, when you're making tents, you can also be talking openly with people, and he did. And so in this case, he meets up with these two husband and wife from Rome, Aquila and Priscilla, and builds a relationship with them. And in fact, they invite him to dwell with them, and, and he does. And that's what we see there as the chapter opens. Well, as it turns out, Aquila and Priscilla are going to be extremely important in Paul's ministry to the Gentiles, not only in the second missionary journey, but even more importantly in the third where they will accompany Paul and they will also minister in the various churches as Paul asked them to do. So uh, these two names go down in history as well, Aquila and Priscilla. But notice how that happened. It happened because the Roman Empire, Claudius, right, commanded, it says in verse 2, all Jews to depart from Rome. So you see how a great crisis personally speaking, being uprooted, leaving behind probably everything you owned, basically, maybe even kind of running for your life. We don't know the exact circumstances, but all of that led to eternal blessing for Aquila and his wife Priscilla. Eternal blessings, <laughs> because they came to know Paul. And Paul communicated to them concerning his precious Savior, the Lord Jesus, raised from the dead, transforming 
life uh, and hope eternally for all those that would trust in him. Um, I suspect that these two were actually unbelievers, uh, unbelieving Jews until they met Paul, although it doesn't make that clear here. But I think it would have said something about it if they were already believers and just needed to be introduced to the risen Christ for whom they had a great expectation and desire, right? Well, um, what a blessing, right? And how the gospel now will be greatly advanced because Aquila and Priscilla are going to be devoted to the ministry of the gospel and be part of Paul's ministry. Imagine how greatly the ministry was multiplied by having all of these additional voices speaking boldly for Christ, uh, place to place, city to city, right? What a blessing indeed. So this must have been somewhat unexpected for Paul that he would meet a couple of tent makers and then this would lead to so much later on. But that's the way God works. He he is the uh, the worker of miracles and they're often unexpected and they come through hard times as Aquila and Priscilla had uh, learned there. Okay, well our second point is that Paul now uh, testifies there in the synagogues, <laughs> and there's this great resistance. Hmm. What's new, right? What's new? So every Sabbath day, uh, the Jews meet in the synagogue, and uh, when the time comes, uh, there's the invitation for someone to speak. Uh, anyone who's there uh, may speak, then only, of course. <laughs> so Paul does, and he ministers uh, there concerning the risen Christ. It's very interesting to read of this. So let's read of this. Patty, would you please read it for us uh, in verses 4 through 6. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. And when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in, his, in the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. And when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said unto them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From henceforth I will go unto the Gentiles. Well, this is extremely significant. Uh, the response of the Jews and the uh, Jewish proselytes, the Gentiles who were in the synagogue, was not very positive. In fact, they were pretty much unified, it seems. When it says in verse 6, uh, they opposed themselves. I think it means they, they got into a big argument about this and ended up blaspheming. Uh, well, that's happened before, right? Paul's gone into the synagogues before, and that was the response. Uh, and uh, it happened when it says, he testified to the Jews that Jesus was the anointed one, the Christ. There is a definite article there in the Greek language, not translated here in the English, but Jesus was the Messiah. <clears throat> so, these Jews resisted their own 
Messiah. That's what happened here, right? Yes, they were resisting Paul. They were speaking against him, uh, arguing. Uh, apparently, things got out of control, generally speaking, right? And uh, Paul responds with these words, and they're pretty strong words indeed. Couldn't really be stronger. It says here, Paul shook his raiment and said unto them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From henceforth I will go unto the Gentiles. Well, this has happened before, you will recall. This is what happened, as recorded for us by Luke back there in chapter 13 of the book of Acts. And we'll just read a couple of words there for, from that. Acts chapter 13, verse 46. Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you, but seeing ye put it from you and judge yourselves unworthy, of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. Oh my. So, uh, that's exactly what happened later on there, then in Corinth, right? <laughs> so, there, there you see that happening, uh, uh, earlier when, uh, Paul and Barnabas together were in that, uh, in that city there, Antioch of Pisidia, and that's the response. Okay, so this is happening again and again, and I think this is indicative of, it's, it's a, an example of how God works. In fact, it's the theme of the second part of the book of Acts, really. It is the theme. It's repeated again and again. In fact, in Acts chapter 19, which we'll look at next time, Lord willing, Acts chapter 19, <laughs> verse 9, it says, When diverse were hardened and believed not, but spake evil of that way before the multitude, he departed from them and separated the dis disciples. So, Paul does not continue on speaking when there's a unified front. He just says, that's it. I've done my part. As he says here, I am free from your blood. It's on your heads. In other words, Paul considered it his divine responsibility to speak forth to the Jews formally in the synagogues uh, concerning Jesus, who was, he says, their Messiah gloriously raised from the dead. And he himself is the judge. So, as those who are being held accountable by the Lord God, you'd better respond. But generally speaking, they do not. And he sometimes doesn't only depart, doesn't only separate, doesn't only leave to go to the Gentiles. Sometimes he even pronounces a curse upon them. And here it's an implied curse. He says, your blood be upon your own heads. Uh, back there in, in uh, Antioch of Pisidia, it was, uh, he says, you judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life. In chapter 19, 
he doesn't pronounce a curse at all. But then as we go on and we get to the greatest example of this at all, this theme of going into the synagogues, going to the Jews first, and when they would not receive the truth, pronouncing a curse as he left. That's in Acts chapter 28. And there in Rome, having gone to the furthest extremity there uh, of the empire, but uh, symbolically, they're sort of at the end of the world, and they're at the very center. When, when Paul finally gets to Rome, speaks to the Jews there, they resist the message concerning their own Messiah. And his words there are in chapter 28, verse 28. Be it known, therefore, unto you that the salvation of God is sent to the Gentiles, and they will hear it. So, what has God done through Paul in sending him to the Jews first? A few have been saved, but many have not. And Israel is being successively set aside previously in their homeland and now uh, wherever they have uh, dispersed throughout the Roman Empire, right? One step at a time, Israel is being set aside. When he gets to chapter uh, 28 and the record there in Rome, that's the final final straw, the final blow, as it were, when Israel is fully set aside. After this point, uh, Paul is only going to the Gentiles, as far as we can tell, and not to the Jews first any longer. Okay, so we continue now. And we see, though, there was a great, great miracle. Nevertheless, even though the Jews rejected Paul's message in the synagogue and he left, hmm, God wasn't finished working yet. In fact, there was great fruit, fruit yet to be born. And, Tom, I'd like you to read about that in Acts chapter 18, verses 7 through 11. And he departed thence and entered into a certain man's house, named Justice, one that worshipped God, whose house joined hard to the synagogue. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house. And many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. Then spake the Lord to Paul in the, in the night by a vision, Be not afraid, but speak, and hold not thy peace. For I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee. For I have much people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. It's <laughs> totally amazing. <clears throat> Miracle upon miracle, right? Thank you, Tom, for reading that for us. <laughs> so, Paul leaves the synagogue, and there's little evidence uh, at that point of uh, the Jews or the, um, the Jewish proselytes, Gentiles, who attached themselves to the synagogue, believing. And yet, Paul, it says, enters into a certain man's house. I can just about see this man beckoning Paul or following him out and saying, Paul, come with me. <laughs> right? 
I will receive you. My house is next door <laughs> to the synagogue, right? says his name was Justice. So another name goes down in history, right? Justice. It says one that worshipped God. Okay, so I take it uh, that this man was a Gentile. He was a Jewish proselyte uh, who worshipped God. That's a, a designation for such like. Uh, like Lydia. Remember Lydia? Uh, she was one that worshipped God. Paul met her and introduced her to the risen Savior as well there you know, on a former earlier day, right? Um, this man's house joined hard to the center. It was right next door. But that's not the end of the story. Amazingly, others are now being saved. And the next one mentioned is Crispus. Who is he? It says he is not just anybody. Not a Jewish proselyte. He is the ruler of the synagogue. And I'm wondering, and it doesn't say so, but the order of Revelation here, verses 7 and 8, kind of indicates that the first one who's clearly responding to Paul's message was a Gentile, a Jewish proselyte named Justice. But now the ruler of the synagogue responds. <laughs> Perhaps because of the testimony of this uh, proselyte. Um, doesn't say, but there is sort of an indication, a faint indication there of that. It says, Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house. So he spoke to everyone there in the home, and they believed. But then notice what it says next. This is just the beginning. And it says, and many of the Corinthians hearing believed. So now there's a great movement of the Lord here amongst these Gentiles. It seems like they were mostly Gentiles. And uh, that's not all. Things are going to continue. But Paul is fearful. He's human. He has anxieties and fears. And the Lord speaks to him directly. And it says, don't be concerned about threats against you and so forth by uh, those in this city. Corinth was a great pagan city. I mean, there were temples there and so forth and so on. And, uh, and there'll be a lot of resistance, no doubt, as he's already seen there in the synagogue, right, amongst the Jews. But uh, Paul is encouraged by the... Uh, uh, Lord speaking directly to him in this vision. And the promise of the Lord is there with him. He says, verse 10, I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee. There's a promise, right? That would be taken to heart. For I have much people in this city. And Paul continued there a year and six months, 18 months teaching the word. Where has he done that before? Nowhere, right? I mean, here is time to really establish something enduring, right? And to reach out from there to the whole area around as believers go uh, out and speak boldly in the name of the Lord, right? This language is interesting. The Lord says to Paul, I have much people in this city. But does that mean there are many, many believers there? 
Or does it mean he has reserved many there for salvation? The elect of God are well represented there. Paul needs to stay there long enough to reach out to them, along with his uh, helpers, Aquila, Priscilla, and now Justice, and now Crispus, right? who would surely be a man of great, great influence amongst the Jews, right? The ruler of the synagogue. Now testifying that uh, the Lord Jesus is, in fact, Israel's Messiah. So a great work has begun. These names go down in history. Um, and uh, we could go to other places to see that. Crispus is mentioned uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 14, for example, um, in the first letter to the Corinthians, because Crispus was an important person there, an important believer in Corinth. But that's not all. God isn't finished yet in Corinth, uh, and the details here go on. The most remarkable thing happens next. So uh, what we're going to now see is that there's another leading Jew who believes. A miracle, a miracle here in Corinth through this ministry of the Lord. Um, so uh, chapter 12 verses or chapter 18 verses 12 through 17. I'll read that. When Gallio was the deputy of Achaia, the Jews made insurrection with one accord against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat. Oh, this has happened before in Athens, remember? The judgment seat is the official Roman uh, court, the high court in the area. And in fact, at this time, we know from secular history, Corinth was considered by the Romans to be the capital of that whole area, the capital of Greece, as it were, bypassing Athens. Uh, so this high court here is a very significant one. And it says, Gallio was the deputy. It says the Jews made insurrection with one accord. Okay, and they brought him to the judgment seat, verse 13, saying, this fellow persuaded men to worship God contrary to the law. And when Paul was now about to open his mouth, he hadn't done it yet, <laughs> Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said unto the Jews, if it were a matter of wrong or wicked lawlessness, O ye Jews, reason would that I should bear with you. But if it be a question of words and names and of your law, Look to it yourself, for I will be no judge of such matters. And he drove them from the judgment seat. So, the man in charge, the deputy, he's like chief justice of the Supreme Court functioning there, right? He says, get out of here. I'm not going to have anything to do with a religious dispute. He drives them out, right? But, these Greeks were not satisfied. And uh, they were apparently very upset that there was this turmoil now brought about by Jews who were opposed to Paul and what Paul was preaching. 
right? These Gentiles, it says now, verse 17, all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the chief ruler, of the, the new chief ruler of the synagogue, apparently who's taken the place of Crispus, right? Because Crispus has left and <laughs> become a Christian, right? So they took Sosthenes, the chief ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. And it says Gallio cared for none of these things. In other words, he didn't care what they were doing out there. Let them do their religious stuff, even if it means beating this uh, jeweler, this this reigning jeweler of this ruler of the synagogue. If I could get my words straight, uh, he allowed Sosthenes to be beaten there. It doesn't say how severely he was beaten, but that's not the end of the story. Oh, it is as far as Luke is concerned here in the book of Acts, but not as far as God is concerned. How do we know that? Well, because according to the first letter to the Corinthians, in the first three verses, we read this. This is amazing. Paul, now remember, this is the first letter Paul writes to the Corinthians. Some time later, he writes this letter. Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that is in every place that call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. So the letter to the Corinthians is written by Paul. It's from Paul. It's to the Corinthian believers, to the church in Corinth. And it's from Paul and Sosthenes. <laughs> so even the new chief ruler of the synagogue, who's beaten by the Gentiles in Corinth, becomes a believer. What an amazing sequence of great miracles uh, have occurred here. Some critical leading Jews and many Gentiles come to know the Lord Jesus Christ in Corinth. The church has been founded there, no question about it, right? Um, so much so, Paul will ultimately write his two longest letters uh, to the believers there in Corinth. And uh, Sosthenes seems to be traveling with Paul, having uh, given up his other <laughs> uh, occupation, right? <clears throat> oh, my. Very quickly after this point, uh, things changed. It says it took a while, according to Acts chapter 18, verse 18. Paul stayed there a while, it says, and then took his leave of the brethren and sailed thence to Syria and with him Priscilla and Aquila. So Paul leaves the others behind, Timothy and Silas and, and now Sosthenes and so forth, uh, but he takes with him Priscilla and Aquila, and they leave 
and head off to Jerusalem, which will end the second missionary journey of the Apostle Paul. He'll stop on the way in Ephesus, and we'll start here, Lord willing, next time. But what have we learned here? And are there any applications for today, for us? Well, I hope we've learned something significant. Um, Paul was bold to speak concerning Christ. There was not necessarily any visible response. Sometimes some would say, well, we'll speak more with you later about this, uh, hoping there might be another time later, and there may not have been. Others followed Paul out as he departed from the synagogue uh, and sometimes even spoke very strongly to those those he was leaving behind. So separation was very much a part of the Pauline ministry. He was bold. If those that he witnessed to and testified to and preached to did not receive the truth but seemed to be opposed, in general, he left. He just left them behind and uh, said strong things on the way out the door, as it was. Uh, okay. And then the Lord blessed in the ways that only the Lord can. And I think that the the truth that underscores all of this is that the preaching and teaching of the Word of God needs to be straight and simple. We must not mince our words. Jesus Christ is gloriously raised from the dead. Many times we're silenced and or don't speak boldly enough. And don't depart when uh, indicators are that the hearts are cold and will not be enlivened by the Spirit of God. And go off to those who will hear, right? But Paul proved that over and over again in his missionary journeys. Another thing we learn here is that Paul is successively setting aside the nation of Israel, step by step, until he finally gets to Rome, right? The Jews as a whole reject the message, but some of them believe. Some gloriously became become members of this body that uh, God is building, the body of Christ, right? The church, the body of Christ, formed of Jews and Gentiles together equally uh, established in Christ Jesus. Neither Jew nor Greek will any longer be important in due time, right? But at this time, Paul is still going to the Jew first. He says he goes to the Jew first and he becomes all things uh, to all men that he might win some, right? And as we're going to see next time, he even takes a vow. And that, that's the reason why he has to depart quickly out of, uh, out of Corinth ultimately and to head off to Jerusalem because of the, the vow that he takes. And we'll look into that more next time. But he becomes all things for all men and he sacrifices much of his liberties willingly for the sake of the Jews and the Gentiles as time passes. Um, the book of Acts, for that reason, because of the, the great transition that's occurring from the witness of, of, of the apostles 
concerning the coming kingdom to the witness of the Apostle Paul and his associates concerning the grace of God. Because of that transition, you have some of this, some of that, and uh, we have to read very carefully to understand what's happening. But at least here we see in chapter 18, like we've seen already earlier and we'll see later, uh, Paul goes to the Jew first. He considers himself honor-bound to do so, to go to his own people first, because they are the chosen nation, right? Because the chosen nation has rejected their Messiah. What a sad thing it is. But some, even rulers of synagogues and Gentile proselytes, believe. And it seems that in Corinth, there was a great number. So much, much fruit was gained there for the sake of the Lord. God's blessings abound in Corinth for Jews and Gentiles. And this is the first time when uh, it seems many Jews believed in Paul's missionary journeys, right? So praise the Lord for that. And I hope we've learned some lessons the lesson about being bold and uh, and yet not uh, overdoing our presence, but going forth where the Lord God may be leading us, as some reject, but others are just waiting to be saved. Because, as Paul was told by Christ, I have many in this city. <laughs> there are many in our cities and areas, too, that we don't know about that need to hear us, so let us go forth boldly. Time's not up yet. We haven't heard the call, the shout, and the voice yet. Until we do, uh, the opportunity still stands before us to be a witness for him and his abundant grace.